Oh, what a morning, what a day, what a saviour. So we are preaching today from this passage in Isaiah, Isaiah uh, chapter 9, and it's part of a series of talks that are coming, really Advent talks, that you would expect to hear at this time of year. So I'll try and make it a bit more different in a way, um, and uh, so that this talk of Advent um, has some sort of different perspective on it. So the prophet Isaiah, he was speaking at about 700 BC, roughly, and he was operating in the, the southern part of, of, of Israel that we now know today, the two tribes of Judah and Benjamin. And what had happened after Solomon in about 500 BC was the nations had split. So 10 tribes of Israel had gone north and were operating in a pagan culture, worshipping all the gods of the, um, of the nations around them. And here was Isaiah operating in Jerusalem. I'm not too sure what's happening behind me, but there we are. Okay, we'll keep on pressing on. Don't worry, it'll be all right when we do the live version of this. Um, so here's Isaiah. And what was happening in the, the southern kingdom, the kingdom of Judah, uh, which consisted of the tribes of Benjamin and, and, uh, uh, and Judah, and one or two other faithful people from the tribes that didn't want to be subject to the pagan king, they'd come south and were operating around the temple, is that there were a series of good kings and bad kings that Isaiah was operating in. So there was Uzziah, where um, uh, he starts his ministry, and then there was... But this happened at the time of King Ahaz, who was a very bad king. He, he decided it was the right thing to do to sacrifice his children to gods to appease those gods. So that was the sort of, that was the, sort of the mood of what was happening. There was a lot of war and discontent happening around Jerusalem at that time. There were some big powers coming up, the Assyrians invading the northern kingdom. And here we have uh, Isaiah standing for the truth, listening to God, and speaking out over the people of the people of Judah at that time, the people who were faithful um, in the, uh, yeah, at that time. So there was a lot of discontent and turmoil and wars and rumors of wars happening. And in Isaiah chapter 7, we get Isaiah's prophecy about the prophetic birth of Emmanuel. We just sang about Emmanuel. God with us. So here was the prophetic um, thing about Emmanuel, the son of a virgin, God with us. And Isaiah now goes further and speaks about the nature of this son who is going to be born. Because there's going to be a special child born. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. So we, we know it's going to be a son, the child, and furthermore, this son is going to have all authority over all things given to this extra special boy. I don't know how well you know Handel's Messiah, but Handel chose these verses and set them to music. Maybe after the service we can hear them being played. For unto us a child is born, for unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called wonderful counsellor, or everlasting father, the prince 
of peace. So all this was in a culture where names are significant. You weren't named your name by accident. You were named your name for a purpose. I was very struck when our first grandchild was born and he was named Lucas because he will bring light. And we've claimed that promise for Lucas. And we prayed for Lucas that he, that that promise of his name would be fulfilled. So no matter what your name is, you might think, oh, I wish I was called something exotic. Yeah? Oh, Fred is such a boring name. No, it's not. You know, I'd much rather be called Algernon or something. Because that's an exotic name. Maybe you wouldn't like to be called Algernon, especially if you're a girl. And there's that wonderful um, country, country western uh, song about a boy called Sue. Yeah. But names are important. And here we have in Isaiah some most incredible names being given to this promised child. He is to be called Wonderful Counselor. He is both full of wonder and he also causes wonders to happen. The things that are planned, that is the things that are counseled, so it's not counselor in the name of someone we elect who represents this borough, it's not someone we go to see to pour out our problems who listens to us and charges us a lot of money. The, the word here, counselor, is the one who plans. So he is in charge of things that are planned that will come to pass. Nothing can stop those things happening. They are certain, they will happen, they will last forever, and they will be eternal. Wonderful counselor. Mighty God. What an extraordinary name to be given to a boy not yet born. How can God be born? He is divine. He is holy. He is all-knowing. He is all-seeing. He is all-hearing. He's a heavenly warrior in charge and commander of the victorious heavenly armies. He is mighty God. Everlasting Father, he's the perfect father. He is the father to the fatherless. He is and forever will be the enduring, eternal, compassionate provider and protector. He is mighty God. Prince of Peace. His rule will bring wholeness, health, completeness, and well-being to all individuals 
and all society for all eternity. He is Prince of Peace. These are quite astounding names to be given to a child yet to be born. There will be no a no there'll be no reign to the end of this king. He will reign on David's throne, and his reign will last forever. God has declared these things that this will happen and nothing can stop them. The passage starts with promises of release from captivity. The people who are in darkness in a dark place, will see a great light. Those who live in a land of deep darkness, where there is no hope on him, on them, the light has dawned. Jesus was at the beginning of creation, where there was complete darkness. There was nothing. The earth was formless. I don't know how well you know the Narnia stories, but in The Magician's Nephew, they go into various worlds and then they end up in this dark world and there is no light. And the cabbie who's there, he says, well, I don't know what we better do here. Let's sing an hymn. So they sing a hymn. And as they sing this hymn, they hear this singing. And they don't know where it's coming from because they can't see anything because it's dark and formless. And the singing comes closer and closer and closer. And as the singing comes closer and closer and closer, suddenly light begins to happen. And they see walking towards them a lion who is singing. And as the lion approaches them, singing, more and more light appears. And then little tiny shoots of grass appear. And almost with every step that he takes, trees come and blossom and come into being. And fruit forms on the trees with every step the lion takes as he sings and walks towards them. And the lion walks straight through them, singing and all of creation comes to life as the lion sings and walks towards them. The lion was at creation. His name is Jesus. And as John tells us in his gospel, he is the light of the world. He spoke light into the world for us to see. He is the light here that brings, that overcomes the darkness of the place that these people were living in. And at the end, we read in Revelation that there is no need for light anymore in the new city and in the new Jerusalem because Jesus himself will be there and there will be no need for light because Jesus will be their light. So when Isaiah spoke about 700 BC. He spoke these words of prophecy that were not going to be fulfilled for 700 years. 
there was going to be 700 years of waiting until this son was born. And I think what this passage says is, look, your Messiah will look totally different to what you expect. He will be different in an unusual way, born of a virgin, born in a manger, humble, and not a warrior in the normal sense of being clothed in armor, carrying a sword and a shield and a spear. But he's also going to be very different in a superlative way with all the amazing titles that have been given him. Diana, could you just join me for a second and read that? Thank you. This is a poem by Adrian Plath. If I wanted, I could take the light, the shining sheet of paper, crush it in my fist, and then it would be night. If I were so inclined, I could destroy the day with fire, warm my hands at all your charred tomorrows, with the smallest movement of my arm, one flicker of my will, sweep you and all your darkness from the land. But I cannot make you love me, cannot make you love me, cannot make you love me. I cannot make you, will not make you, cannot make you love me. If I wanted, I could lift the sea as if it were a turquoise tablecloth, uncover lost, forgotten things, unwritten history. It would be easy to revive the bones of men who never thought to see their homes again. I have revived one shipwrecked man in such a way. The story of that rescuing, that coming home, might prove I care for you. But though I can inscribe I love you in the sky and on the sea, I cannot make you love me cannot make you love me, cannot make you love me, I cannot make you, will not make you, cannot make you love me. I can be father, brother, shepherd, friend, the rock, the door, the light, creator, son of man. Emmanuel, Redeemer, Spirit first and last, the Lion or the Lamb. I can be Master, Lord, the Way, the Truth, the Wine, Bread or Bridegroom, Son of God. I am Jehovah, Saviour, judge, the cornerstone, the vine. I can be king of kings, deliverer, the morning star, alpha and omega, Jesus, rabbi, carpenter, all morning dew.
servant, teacher, sacrifice, the Rose of Sharon. I can be, I have been, crucified for you. But I cannot make you love me, cannot make you love me, cannot make you love me. I cannot make you, will not make you, cannot make you love me. Diana, thank you. There were two purposes for that prophecy given 700 years before Jesus was born. First, to warn the people, to tell the people that there will be a king coming. But there's also a second purpose to that prophecy. Because some of those words, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, they haven't yet been fulfilled in their true sense, in their true purpose. And so they are also a prophecy for us today that Jesus will come again. And on that day, he will come not as a savior, but as a judge. And he will then fulfill those words of being wonderful counselor, or everlasting father, mighty God, and prince of peace. What Diana just read for us is that the God of all creation can send his only son. He can speak and cause creation into being. He can move mountains. He can part the seas. He can make the dead come back to life. He can turn water into wine, but he cannot make you, will not make you, will not make you love him. And so really the choice for us today is... How will you respond? Because with all the Christmas celebrations happening around us and the lights and the tinsel and the candles and the carols, Jesus is going to come again. He has come once, he will come again. And now is our opportunity to respond to that. To say, yes, Jesus, in amongst all the festivities, I will try and love you a bit more. Some of us already love him, but we need to love him more. Some of us don't yet love him, but we need to begin to say, Jesus, I don't know what it looks like, but I want to trust you, and I want to love you. I don't know what that looks like but I want to love you. How can I acknowledge that the baby in the animal feeding trough 2,000 years ago is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords? Amen. Amen. Pete, I'm just going to ask you to pray for us in a minute, but I just want you to say, to say this. I have never known a Christmas season like this 